You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. So let's, we're going to jump into the preaching now. So Ian's going to continue on his spiritual discipline series, what is awesome at the moment. So just as he comes forward and gets ready, can we just pray for him? Father, we lift Ian up to you, Lord. We thank you for the words, Lord. We thank you for this series, Lord. We thank you for how important spiritual disciplines are, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that we're getting an opportunity, Lord, to go deeper and unpack them, Father, in our lives, Lord. So we just pray, Lord, would you... Would you um, weld them into our lives, Father? I just pray, Lord, that as we go through this series, as we learn more, Lord, that they'll just come a day-to-day natural thing for us to do, Father, and help us to grow in you, Father. So we just pray these words, Lord, we impact our hearts, Lord, and would you plant seeds and grow those seeds, Father, in your name. Amen. Thanks, Mike, and uh, thank you, everyone, for coming out this morning. I want to... uh, start with a prayer it's one that's adapted from the um, uh, Valley of Vision prayers that I've been doing a number of so I'd like to start with that O God my surpassing joy singing your praises uplifts my heart for you are a fountain of delight and you bless the soul that finds its joy in you but because of my heart's rebellion I cannot always praise you as I should Yet I will at all times rest myself in your excellence, goodness and loving kindness. Jesus, you are the object of inexpressible joy and I take exceeding pleasure in the thought of you. But Lord, I am sometimes your enemy. My nature revolts and wanders from you. Though you have made me new, yet sinfulness urges me to oppose you still. Help me to exalt you with my entire heart submission, to be tireless in self-examination, to examine myself whether I am truly born again, whether my spirit is the same spirit as your children, whether my heartache is that of a repentant heart, whether my joy is the joy of faith, whether my confidence in Christ is from love for him that purifies my soul. Give me the sweet outcomes of faith in my inner character and in my public life. Put your cords of love around my heart, then hold me and never let go. May my Saviour's wounds impress me more than the majesty of earthly rulers. Let me love you with a love that swallows up all rivals for my affection, that I may not violate the purity of my union with my beloved. There is much unconquered territory in my nature, Drive out the buyers and the sellers in the temple of my soul and give me instead pure desires and longings for perfect holiness. Amen. We've been slowly working our way through the spiritual disciplines on a lifelong journey of being conformed to the image of Christ. And it's been a slow trip so far, been a few interruptions, so it might be worthwhile refreshing our memories. And I think I'm driving this ship, would this be right? Yep, here we go. The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the list of the spiritual disciplines we've been working through are prayer firstly. Prayer is talking with the God of the universe calling on him to fulfil his promises to us 
bringing our needs, fears and desires to him. Prayer is an acknowledgement that we depend on him for life and breath and everything. Then we covered fasting. Fasting is the deliberate and voluntary abstinence from some form of legitimate physical gratification to achieve a greater spiritual good. Then the last one was Bible reading. And I wasn't sure, I think I mentioned initially, whether Bible reading or prayer is the most important of the disciplines. But as I've continued working on these messages, I've become convinced that Bible reading is actually the most important of them. The reason being that Bible reading is our primary way of knowing about God, of knowing about ourselves and of knowing about the way of salvation. In fact, it's the only infallible way of knowing him. The knowledge that we gain of God through reading the Bible lays the foundation for intelligent and effective prayer. Without that knowledge, our prayers are likely to be little more than wishful thinking and we're likely to be praying to a God of our imagination or a God made in our image. So Bible reading helps us put down roots into fertile soil like a tree planted by a stream so that we grow strong, healthy and fruitful in good times and in bad times. Then after we've read our Bibles, what do we do with what we read? Is there a next step? And of course, you know the answer is yes. The next one is meditation. So my goal today is to help you take your Bible reading discipline and convert that head knowledge to heart knowledge and then go onwards to spiritual maturity. Then over the following weeks we will cover off worship, fellowship and confession. And then I may throw in a bonus discipline at the end about how to study the Bible and what tools are available to help us to do that. We'll see how we go, but I think uh, that might be worth doing. So as we went through each discipline, I had a handout to summarise the most important points of it and to provide some of the resources to help you to understand and develop that particular discipline. There's some of those on your seats today. If uh, you haven't got one and you want one, I've got some spare ones. There's a few floating around and we'll put some out uh, put some out in the foyer as well if we have any left over for you can collect that you can collect on the way out. Um, or if you want, you can talk to me and I'll email them to you afterwards. You'll see there's a number of hyperlinks to useful resources that doesn't work very well when you click on a piece of paper. So the uh, the electronic version of that will actually be available um, uh, on a link in our our uh, newsletter, I'll send it out, you'll be able to download it from Dropbox, Dropbox and you'll be able to uh, click on those as well. So meditation. This next of our spiritual disciplines is designed to conform us again to the image of Christ. And I suspect it's a practice that's rarely engaged in by Christians today. And there's probably a number of reasons why Christians don't often meditate. Firstly, I think it's probably, basically, we don't know what meditation really is. I don't know if I've ever heard a message from the pulpit, at least, about meditation and how to meditate. Secondly, of course, there's the busyness of life. You all know what that's like. When can you find time 
for something that's seemingly unproductive as meditation, just sitting around thinking. Life is relentless. It never lets up. And few of us have spare time to indulge in something that doesn't give us anything tangible in in return. But of course many of us waste a lot of time on TV, on the internet, on video games, but that's another story. There's also the association with Eastern religions. You've all heard of Eastern type meditation where you sit on the floor with your legs crossed, empty your mind and chant om, om, om or some other nonsense phrase like that with a view to gaining enlightenment. Apart from the pain of sitting cross-legged on the floor for any length of time, it's wise to avoid this practice. It's unbiblical for starters and Christian meditation is very different to Eastern meditation. We'll get into that as we go. And some might think it's just too touchy-feely, too mystical and not practical. History is full of mystics, those who are so heavenly minded they are of no earthly use. People that uh, expected to be supported while they pondered their navels or the mysteries of the universe or something and contributed nothing back in return. And they're frequently associated with some pretty strange beliefs and weird visions and emotionalism and cults. So the danger of being sucked into deception may outweigh in our minds any benefit of meditation. Before we go on to consider why Christians should meditate and the benefits we can expect to get from it, we probably should define meditation. The Oxford Dictionary says meditation is to focus one's mind for a period of time in silence or with the aid of chanting for religious or spiritual purposes or as a method of relaxation. The The Collins Dictionary defines it as the act of remaining in a silent and calm state for a period of time as part of a religious training or so that you are more able to deal with the problems of everyday life. One of the major differences between Eastern and Christian meditation is that the goal in Eastern meditation is to empty your mind and to disconnect with the world. And that's at least part of the reason why they chant, it's to try and empty the mind of anything that would get in the way. But that's dangerous from a Christian perspective. We are never called to empty our minds. When we empty our minds, we've given up control of our minds and we open ourselves up to the influence of the enemy. That's one of the reasons why the Bible warns us against drunkenness and by extension use of mind-altering drugs. Instead the Bible calls us to be of sound mind, to always fill our minds, but to make sure we fill them with the right things. So we could define Christian meditation as spending time in quietness, usually alone, drawing close to God, listening to him, pondering on his word, on his creation, on his mighty works or other aspects of his self-revelation. 
So the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Someone has said that meditation, more than reading the Bible, creates spiritual maturity. And that, of course, is part of our goal with these spiritual disciplines. And I've been encouraging you to get into the habit, the discipline of Bible reading. It's the starting point for our healthy spiritual growth. But there's more that we can do beyond just reading the Bible. So let's have a look at what the Bible actually tells us. Some versions of the word, some version of the word meditate occurs 23 times in the Bible. I was actually a little bit surprised. I expected it to be more. But it occurs 23 times in the Bible. But 19 of those times are in the Psalms. I think that's instructive for us. We know the Psalms are more about the heart than about the head. The Psalms are not primarily designed to teach us doctrine. The Psalms teach us how to relate to God, to relate to him personally, to bring our fears, our joys, our worries, our thanks, our doubts and our delights to him. The Psalms are about the heart. Meditation is not mostly about gaining head knowledge, although we will gain head knowledge as we meditate. It's about personal transformation. We are called to engage our brains in active thinking, not to empty them, but to put them to work. For the purpose of heart change, meditation turns our head knowledge of God to a deep heart level relationship and it transforms us from the inside out. Meditation was a pretty common practice in the Old Testament times. One of the earliest references in the Word of God is, in, is to Joshua when he took over the leadership from Moses. And uh, in Joshua 1.7, the Lord said, only be, very, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all that the law, to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. There are a few things that we can learn from this passage. The first is that we must be obedient. That's the foundation of our success. Foundation of success in the task that God has called us to. That we may be careful to do all that is written in it. But obedience to the word requires knowledge of the word. We can't be obedient to something we don't know. It shall not depart from your mouth, the Lord told Joshua. The Bible is to be most of the one, impo- one of the most important things in our life. 
to the extent that it shapes our thoughts, it shapes our speech. What do you most love talking about? That question, if you ask it honestly of yourself, might reveal more about your heart than you want other people to know. Jesus said, A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Of course, we can always fake our spirituality by using holy sounding words, but that doesn't negate the truth that as we meditate on scripture, it will shape our speech. And it won't just shape our speech in the choice of words we use, it will shape our speech in the grace in which we deliver those words. We're called to meditate on the word day and night. The Bible should shape our thoughts. We should spend more time thinking about the Bible and talking about it than we do thinking about the latest episode of Game of Thrones or the footy results or the weather. What's the thing we most want to talk about? That's showing what's shaping our thoughts. And our knowledge of the word should also shape our actions. We read it and we meditate on it that we may be careful to do all that is written in it. The result, the promise of God, is that we will prosper and succeed. The Lord told Joshua, you will make your way, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now when I say that God promises that you'll prosper and succeed, I'm not suggesting here a prosperity gospel that's pretty popular, particularly in America at the moment. I'm not suggesting that if you do these things that God will give you a better paying job, a bigger home, a hotter wife and a new Porsche. Because sometimes following God means losing everything you have. Untold numbers of believers in the early church lost everything, including their lives, for the sake of the gospel. Tell me, how do you meditate on something like Philippians 1.29? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. How do you meditate on that and come up with a prosperity gospel? Or how about Romans 8.17? That we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I'm suggesting not that doing these things will give us the bigger home, the better paying job, the new car, etc. I'm suggesting God will prosper you and cause you to succeed in what he has called you to do. He makes no promises to support your worldly desires. God may well have called you to be wealthy. He does that for some people. He does call some people to be wealthy. But if he does, 
He does it so that you will use your wealth to advance the gospel, not to make yourself fat and lazy and comfortable. But equally, God may well call you to live in poverty and obscurity for the rest of your life. Also, to advance the gospel. If you follow what God has called you to do, you will succeed in it. One day you will hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant, and your reward in heaven will be great. A couple of weeks ago I talked about how the Bible saved my life, physically as well as spiritually. It saved me because it put down roots deep into my soul that saved me from a path of destruction. The Bible put life-saving scriptures into my heart and into my mind that kept me from straying too far from the Lord. The Psalms open with a similar thought. Blessed, Psalm 1-1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. God hasn't given us the Bible just for interesting historical information. He's given it to make us strong, stable, healthy, fruitful. Meditation helps us get his word deep into our souls so that we can be like that tree. But meditation is difficult when you're distracted. One of our definitions earlier said that meditation requires spending time in quietness and usually alone. That's challenging for us in modern Australia, isn't it? Life is hectic. As I said before, it never lets up. There's rarely a time during our waking hours that's not filled with noise, activity and distractions. So when can you find time to meditate if you lead such a busy life, such an average Australian life. I find I often wake up at 3am. Most nights wake up at 3am. And I've learned that if I'm still awake 15 or 20 minutes later, I'll be awake for two hours straight. And I won't fall asleep until just before the alarm goes off at 6. I gather that's a pretty common story for people as they get older. They start to wake up more often during the night. It's frustrating. But if I'm going to be awake anyway, maybe I should put that time to good use. What a great opportunity that is at 3am when there's no distractions, there's no noise, to meditate. Like David did in Psalm 119. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, David wrote, that I may meditate on your promise. Some people call 3am the witching hour. Supposedly it's the time when the witches 
are doing all their rituals and dances and everything else and uh, summoning up demons and trying to destroy Christians, Christian marriages, Christian churches, Christian witness. If that's true, and for what it's worth, I don't think it is, but then here's a strategy that will pull one over the enemy. When you wake up at 3am, read some of your Bible. Meditate on it. Pray and worship the Lord. If that's how you respond every time the demons wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning, it won't be very long before they stop waking you up because they don't want you to be using your time meditating on the word and worshipping the Lord. But sometimes I suspect it's the Lord himself who wakes us up at 3am so that we can pray or read or meditate on his word then because we're so busy and distracted during the day. If that's true, then we should see it as a blessing, not a curse. Either way, if we spend the night watches growing deeper in our relationship with the Lord, it can only be a win-win situation for us. So if you're sick of the relentless pressure of life, maybe it's time to carve out a little space for yourself to quiet your mind, to settle the heart, to find some peace. Eighteen months ago, Mel and I realised how busy we had become. There never seemed to be a spare moment. Every weekend was full of, of activities of some description. So we made a conscious decision then that the following year we were going to slow down. We were going to take time out for ourselves. We were going to get away on weekends. We were going to do less. Since we made that decision, life has got busier. I shouldn't have seen it coming probably. But if it weren't for the fact that I have a morning ritual of going into work about an hour and a half before I'm supposed to start, going to the cafe over the road from work. If I didn't have that morning ritual, I think I'd go crazy. It's the time when I can spend some time in the Word, I can think about it, I can write about it. It's a quiet time for me. And then, of course, late at night as well, when all the lights are out and I've got a little torch by the bed and... Mel's trying to sleep and I'm rustling pages. It's a quiet time for me to read, to meditate on the word. But we need some quiet times. We need to take time out. We need to find a time that works for us where we can spend some time in the word, meditating, praying, worshipping. If you want to get off the treadmill of life, it might mean you have to set the alarm for 15 or 20 or 30 minutes earlier in the morning. Or it might mean you get out of the office at lunchtime and take your Bible with you into a park. Or it might mean turning off the, the TV at 10 o'clock instead of 11 o'clock at night so you can spend some time with God, so you can spend some time in his word, reading, praying, meditating. It can be done, but it requires a change of our priorities. David wrote in Psalm 143, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. David wrote this psalm 
when he was being hunted by his enemies, in his distress, he turned his thoughts back to God. He turned his thoughts to what God had done in the past. Don't allow tough times to crush your spirit. Be mindful that there's a bigger picture. Meditate on the awesome power of God. Meditate on his goodness and his faithfulness that he has already displayed towards you. And trust that he will not forsake you. He's not brought you this far to abandon you. David said a similar thing in an earlier psalm. In Psalm 63, he writes about his longing for the Lord, how his soul thirsts for God. Then he talks about beholding God's power and his glory and his steadfast love. As he meditates, he recognises that God is his source and his satisfaction, his help and his great delight, and he worships God. And he writes, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. We can meditate on creation. Read Psalm 8 or Psalm 104 for inspiration. We can meditate on the last few chapters of Job from chapter 38 onwards. We can meditate on the works of God. Psalm 77 and Psalm 145 will kick you off there. We can meditate on the glory of God, on the goodness of God towards us. We can meditate on the love of God. We can meditate on the sacrifice of Christ. Think Isaiah 53 or think the cross narratives in the Gospels. We can meditate on the salvation purchased by his precious blood. Read Ephesians chapter 1. We can meditate on how amazing it is that this high and holy God should condescend to dwell among men and to supply his Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Yet you have crowned him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. Hebrews 8, 4 also, uh, sorry, Psalm 8, 4 also quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to practice meditation, the Psalms are a wonderful place to start. For there we read the words of David and others who have learned to meditate long before us. And as we meditate, we should be drawn into awe. We should be drawn into worship. We should be filled with joy and hope and expectancy. 
Remember, meditation, more than reading the Bible, creates spiritual maturity. As I mentioned earlier, Christian meditation is very different to Eastern meditation. We are to fill our minds, not to empty them. We are to use our minds, not be passive. Christian meditation is not focused internally. It's not focused on ourselves and our inner being. Christian meditation is focused externally. It's focused on the revelation of God that's found in the Bible and in creation. Meditation is part of the process of trying to understand the word of God and discover what it is he's saying to us. It's not founded on our feelings, although it should help to shape our feelings. It's founded on something solid. It's founded on objective truth. Remember what Paul said? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. It's tough to think on honourable, pure and excellent things if our day is filled with TV news or worldly entertainment. They are full of the words of the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, the ungodly. Turn them off for a while. Turn them off for a while. It'll all be there when you come back to it if you still need your fix. It's not going anywhere. Some practical helps. Uh, Some practical steps might be helpful. These aren't original with me but uh, and they're in your handout notes. Firstly, choose a passage of scripture, one that speaks clearly about God, such as Psalm 139, or one which speaks into your situation. Use the same passage for a whole week to allow yourself to soak in it. Meditations like slowly enjoying a piece of chocolate, letting it gently melt in your mouth to get every molecule of flavour and texture out of it. So don't rush. If necessary, read less to have more time to meditate. While Bible study is about educating the mind, meditation is about enticing the heart. Read through it a number of times. Read it out loud to yourself. Memorise it or memorise a key phrase or verse out of it. Write it out. Write out a paraphrase of it. Notebook or a journal or something would be helpful with your meditation. Print it out. Put it as your screensaver on your phone or your computer. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it somewhere you'll be seeing it time and time again during the course of the day. If you know one of the old scripture in song choruses based on that passage, sing it to yourself or put it to music. Make up some music and sing it to yourself. And take notice of what it says about God, what it says about you. Imagine yourself in the setting described. Imagine yourself 2,000 years ago on the mount listening to Jesus' teaching. Imagine yourself hearing a prophet thundering warnings against you and the people. 
mentally recreate the scene and then respond. Pray. Use the passage to stimulate a prayer of thanksgiving or a petition or of intercession. Personalise it. Look to how you might apply it to yourself. Psalm 1 we looked at before said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked. Personalise it. Blessed am I because you have kept me from walking in the counsel of the wicked and from standing in the way of sinners, from sitting in the seat of scoffers. My delight is in your law. And in your law I will meditate day and night. Personalise it. Praise. Worship God for who he is, for what he has done, for how he reveals himself in scripture. And then practice. Commit yourself to doing what the word reveals or commands. Our old friend Don Whitney has a number of questions we can ask of the text, which is also in your handout notes. Does it reveal something I should believe about God? Does it reveal something I should praise, thank or trust God for? Does it reveal something I should pray about for myself or for others? Does it reveal something I should change my attitude towards? Does it reveal something I should make a decision about? Does it reveal something I should do for the sake of Christ or of others or of myself? Meditation is for the purpose of spiritual growth and maturity. It's for shaping us into the image of Christ. Meditation that doesn't evoke some sort of response from us is effectively meditation that's wasted and potentially meditation that will harm us, harden our heart. Even if you didn't pursue meditation for the purpose of your spiritual health, you would still benefit from it in some way though. Studies have shown that meditation reduces stress, anxiety, depression and even pain and it can increase your sense of peace and well-being. But of course we want to pursue meditation to grow in our knowledge and our love of the Lord, to be conformed more closely to the image of Christ. We have a higher purpose in meditation than merely physical and psychological benefits. The Bible, we must say, can be pretty solid meat to digest sometimes. Meditation is the process of chewing that meat so we can get the most nourishment, the greatest benefit out of it. It will then help us to grow strong and healthy. And by this we gain the spiritual benefits as well as the physical and emotional benefits. How can that not be a good thing? So I encourage you all to take seriously this week the call to the spiritual discipline of meditation. Will you begin to practice meditation this week? I hope you will. If and when you find God giving you greater understanding of his word or encouraging you or challenging you, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear the testimonies come up the front on next Sunday morning in the week's 
coming to testify what God has been saying to you, how he has spoken into your situation, how he has encouraged you, how he has opened your eyes to something you need to let go maybe. You can come up and share your testimony about it. You encourage all of us. So as I say, I encourage you all to take this seriously this week and for the rest of your life. It will put down roots by that stream and you'll be fruitful in season and out of season when the rains are here and when the drought comes. Let's close in prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us to know and understand our Lord as we meditate on the word that you have breathed out. We ask that you would shape us by this word, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And we will give you glory, we will give you honour, and we will give you praise. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.